are listening to the Good Shepherd Bible Church Sermon Podcast. Our mission at Good Shepherd is to proclaim the gospel so that all people will believe, grow, and hope in Jesus. One of the main ways we believe that we are accomplishing our mission is through the proclaimed word. We believe that the preached word creates and sustains the church. Our desire is to preach Christ crucified for you, which means we hope that Jesus is the substance and hero of every sermon and that Jesus is preached into the places of sin and brokenness into our hearts. We thank you for joining us and hope that you will believe, grow, and hope in Jesus. I've already been asked what's next. I have no clue. You can pray with me on that. Um, We try to go through a rotation of Old Testament and New Testament. So we've done two uh, New Testament books, so there's a good chance what we're about to hit up is Old Testament. I meant to mention as well, and I forgot my notes, so Nick, you're going to have to help me out. Uh, Congratulations to uh, John and Aaron Maiden on Elliot Luke. And I think uh, I'm going to try to do this from memory here. This is going to this is going to mess me up. Uh, six pounds eight ounces. How many inches long? It's on my notes. I'm sorry. I'm not. I'm not. I'm not so good. It's on my notes. Nineteen and a half inches. Born on Friday, the 24th. What was that? At 2 a.m., which is a great time to be born. Way to go. He's already like wrecking households. Good work out of that guy. That's awesome. So if you. Uh, Whenever you get a chance to see them or get to write them, uh, give them a hearty congratulations. Uh, we've seen pictures. He is a full maiden. Uh, already looks like a maiden. That's a, that's a good thing. So uh, There's a mule train set up as well. It's probably already gone out. It's already full? Just kidding. All right. You're late to the party if you, if you wanted to do that. So good. Praise God. Thank, good work out of you folks. Good work. That's awesome. That's already full. Praise God for you guys. All right. James chapter 4. We're going to read uh, verse 1 all the way down to verse 10 tonight. What causes quarrels and what causes fights among you? Is it not this, that your passions are at war within you? You desire and do not have, so you murder. You covet and cannot obtain, so you fight and quarrel. You do not have because you do not ask. You ask and do not receive because you ask wrongly to spend it on your passions. You adulterous people, do you not know that friendship with the world is enmity with God? Therefore, whoever wishes to be a friend of the world makes himself an enemy of God. Or do you suppose it is to no purpose that the scripture says, He yearns jealousy over the spirit that he has made to dwell in us, but he gives more grace. Therefore, it says, God opposes the proud, but gives grace to the humble. Submit yourselves, therefore, to God. Resist the devil, and he will flee from you. Draw near to God, and he will draw near to you. Cleanse your hands, you sinners. And purify your hearts, you double-minded. Be wretched and mourn and weep. Let your laughter be turned to mourning and your joy to gloom. Humble yourselves before the Lord and he will exalt you. 
such an incredible passage and maybe one that is jarring at first read. But I pray that God would cement these truths to our hearts. We've been going through a series on James called Pure Religion. Uh, We've noted several uh, different distinctions that James is trying to make, distinctions that give wisdom to our world and light to our life. Last week, we were looking at this distinction between faith-filled wisdom and faithless foolishness. Last week was another powerful uh, message for us and a powerful text for us. James helps knock the props underneath our own wisdom, and he asks this question in chapter 3, verse 13. Who among you is wise and understanding? Who among you has it all figured out? I mentioned last week, like any good pastor, he probably doesn't even look up from his notes. He probably just asks, hoping that no one would raise their hands. It's supposed to be this unanswerable question. None of us have it figured out. Or as Romans says, which actually quotes the psalmist, no one understands. No one seeks God. So you might be asking, where do we find the wisdom to get along in life? If God demands that we walk wisely, where do we get this wisdom? And this is where we actually begin to see James's definition of wisdom. It is actually God's gift of Christ given to us, which is why he says earlier on in his book that if any man lacks wisdom, wisdom, let him ask of God who gives to all men liberally. Or in chapter 1, verse 17, that God is the one who gives every good and perfect gift. In other words, it comes down from above, down from the Father of lights, with whom there is no uh, variation or shadow due to change. Wisdom, as God knows it, is his gift to us of Christ, which is why last week we talked about this mechanism at work in the Christian life called faith where we come to God with empty hands, nothing in our hands we bring, simply to the cross we cling, naked look to him for dress, helpless look to him for grace, foul we to the fountain fly. We come to Christ with empty hands, and by faith he fills them up with his good and perfect gifts, with Christ himself, and wisdom is when he imparts that humility to us, and we lay hold of it by faith. But wisdom doesn't just stop with a faith that holds on to Christ and nothing else. Wisdom then gets really busy and active in life, which is why if you go back to chapter 3, it was such a powerful statement for us. Verse 13, who is wise and understanding among you? Who has it all figured out? Well, by his good conduct, let him show his works in the meekness or in the humility of wisdom. Having grasped onto God's sense of wisdom, let us be freely busy about loving and serving our neighbor, and let's do so with a quiet spirit. And this understanding of the ethos of the Christian life, or the atmosphere of the Christian life, or this kind of peace-filled living in the Christian experience begins to be fleshed out here in James's beginning of chapter 4. Of course, the chapter 
headings and where the chapters begin, that's not inspired, but in our passage, it's chopped off here and begins chapter four. It's because James is going to launch into what the peace-filled living in the Christian life is all about. He's going to get into the nitty-gritty of what it means to live at peace in the Christian experience. You remember the question that James asked us early on in this book, what good is it, my brethren, if we have faith but we don't have works. What actual good is it if we have faith in something, but on the ground of our Christian experience, nothing changes? What good is that? My friends, you and I would both look at that and say, well, it's no good at all. And this is what James is trying to say. There is a distinction between religion as seen on the surface and a pure religion that works in the heart, transformed out freely towards our neighbor in free love. This is the kind of faith that actually does the bit of saving us from all the things that enslave us. If I can say it this way, this is the kind of freedom and salvation that frees us from the burden of us and allows us to move freely into the hearts of our neighbor. This is why James would say, by the humility of God's wisdom, let us exhibit good conduct. James has something to say to us tonight And he's going to give us some bad news, and then he's going to give us some really good news. And again, all of this is gearing towards helping us understand the exact atmosphere of what the Christian life and experience should look like. Or I might use the word ethos. That's a Greek word for kind of talking about the atmosphere of your life, what your life looks like, smells like. As you walk by, you kind of get a taste of it. That's the idea, the ethos of your life. James wants us to understand that by our own nature, naturally, right out of the gate, apart from Christ, the reality is we all delight to fight with God. Now, I know as you hear that, you guys come into a clean building, you get on your Sunday best or maybe your Sunday average or whatever your Sunday is, whatever it is. You, you get on your Sunday outfit and you come to a clean church and you're getting all ready to go. And the last thing you want to hear tonight is that you have a reckoning with God or you have this odd desire to get in a wrestling match with God. But the reality is James wants to expose that in all of our hearts. We have this natural tendency to fight God on every level. We have this natural tendency to duke it out with God. And again, I might have to do a little bit of convincing to get you there, but just know that it doesn't always look like Jacob. If you remember the the story of of Jacob back in the Old Testament where he literally actually does fight with God. He has an actual wrestling match with Jesus. Uh, It's an amazing story, and somehow Jesus lets him win. It's a little uh, uh, prerequisite into the, the salvation that he would experience and the promise that God would give. God allows Jacob to beat God at being God. And as it were, Jesus was free to lose so that salvation might come. That's a little extra. Uh, but uh, we, we, Your life might not look like that this week or last week. You might not have had an actual wrestling match with God. But at the same time, James wants us to understand that the inner workings of our hearts, of our natural self, has a bone to pick with God. Look what he says right out of the gate here of chapter 4. What causes quarrels and what causes fights among you? Is it not this, that your passions are at war within you? 
You desire and do not have, so you murder. You covet and cannot obtain, so you fight and quarrel. You do not have because you do not ask. You ask and do not receive because you ask wrongly to spend it on your passions. You adulterous people. And here's probably the kicker leading up to our argument tonight. Do you not know that friendship with the world is enmity with God? Therefore, whoever wishes to be a friend of the world makes himself an enemy of God. See, the reality is James wants us to understand that we are, even apart from this understanding of fighting with God, he wants us to understand that the natural impulse of our hearts, we are born natural fighters. We were born to fight. We came out of the womb wrestling and arguing with everything going on in our world. And the reality is James points to a very specific reason. It's because of our passions. He says this at the end of verse 1. Our passions are at war within us. We desire and we don't have. So we murder. We're naturally, instinctively coming out of the gate looking for something, looking for something to gain, fighting for something that we don't have. The crazy thing is about this understanding is that he's not talking about unchurched people. He's not even really talking to people who don't have an experience with Christ. He's even talking to people who have an experience with Christ, and he's trying to convince them we are still at war amongst our own selves, amongst our own passions. There's still a part of the natural man that still clings on on the inside, and it feels like there's this inner war going on within our hearts, which still allows us to keep fighting. If I can say it this way, the old Adam, yes, has been drowned in our baptism, but he's a darn good swimmer. He keeps fighting. He says this to the church. Let this ring into our own ears, church. The reality is that we are natural-born fighters because we are natural forgetters. James says the problem is with your desires, and in, these, in the level of desires, the reason you're fighting is because you feel like there's something you don't have. There's something out there you're looking for that you feel like you haven't received. And so in this, in this kind of condition of wantness, you're fighting for something that you feel like you, you don't have currently. So you're always on the hunt for more, always on the hunt for something better. Again, listen, church to this reality that Satan would love to tempt you to think that there's something outside of Christ that you need that you don't have. And he's saying that causes the wars and the fights because it's going to tempt you to think you need something outside of Jesus and you, and it's up to you to go get it. Do you remember uh, back in chapter two, we looked at this reality. What causes us to be tempted? Well, it's our own hearts. We are tempted when we are drawn away by our own lusts and enticed, by what we want. The problem is not the temptation out here. The problem is the temptation right here in my own heart. There's something outside me that I want right here and I don't have it. So I have to go get it. That's the problem of the heart. And James facing Christians is saying, you guys quarrel and you fight because you feel like you're missing something. You fight, you're natural fighters because you're natural forgetters. James would have something to say about that, but we'll hang on to that. James also helps us to see that our natural forgetfulness 
also leads to an innate anger. An innate anger. Look back at chapter 1, verses 18 through 21. This, this feeling of emptiness or this feeling of unfulfilledness or there's something outside of us that we need, it causes us to fight and to quarrel, but it leads to anger. Here's a little hint in chapter 1, verse 18. He's going to talk about this reality that we've been given everything that we need in Christ already. In verse 18, of his own will, of God's own will, he brought us forth by the word of truth that we should be the kind of first fruits of his new creation. Know this, my beloved brothers, let every person be quick to hear, slow to speak, slow to anger, for the anger of man does not produce the righteousness of God. Therefore, put away all filthiness and rampant wickedness and receive with meekness, or there's that humility word, receive with humility the implanted word which is actually able to do the job of saving your soul. He helps us to understand that in Christ, we've already been given everything we need in salvation, full and free and final. It's when we forget that powerful understanding of the gospel and try to search and look for something else. We quarrel, we fight, and it leads to anger. And he drops this beautiful dime there in chapter 1. The anger of man does not produce the righteousness of God. The kind of anger that self-righteousness brews up in your heart, it doesn't actually accomplish what you think it's accomplishing. Or as we talked about last week, that kind of faithless foolishness, it actually does the work of destroying. Does the work of destroying. Remember what he says there in uh, chapter 3, verse 14, but if you have bitter jealousy, you want what other people have, or selfish ambition, you're going to go get what you want. Do not boast and be false to the truth. This is not the wisdom that comes from above, but it's earthly, unspiritual, and demonic. Listen to this dime. For where jealousy and selfish ambition exist, there will be disorder and every vile practice. When we live in a constant state of forgetfulness, which leads to anger and jealousy and self-ambition, and it causes us to quarrel and to fight with one another, it doesn't actually bring what we think it's bringing. It does the exact opposite. It continues the path of self-destruction that we've been on in our natural state. The reality of the gospel is that God has saved us fully in Christ, which frees us from the burden to secure a kind of salvation that we long for by what we do. Our tendency is to lose sight of the realities of the gospel that leads to the kind of angry and jealous jealousy and selfish ambition and fighting that robs us of our peace. Peace on the inside, peace with, with God, and peace on the outside, or peace with our neighbor. There was more than likely this kind of infighting in the church that James was actually having to deal with. And he's pointing to this fighting and he's saying, the reason you're fighting is because you think you don't have. Oh, my friend, that couldn't, be, that couldn't be further from the truth. If you all knew what you all had and had together, there wouldn't be any of this fighting and jealousy and selfish ambition. It's pretty crazy that even... He talks about this idea of you, you do not have because you do not ask. It's as simple as 
coming to God in a humble posture of faith, again, with open hands, laying down the deadly doings of your own work and your own righteousness and not looking for what you can bring to the table to God, but lifting your empty hands and saying, God, what do you have to put in here? What do you have to put in my hands? This giver of all good gifts. He says, you do not have simply because you do not ask. If you would ask in faith, oh, my friends, you would have everything you need. And here's another problem in the life of the church. You, you then ask, this is verse, you, verse three, you then ask, but you don't receive it because you ask wrongly so that you can spend it on your passions. It's almost like you know that coming to God is the right thing to do, but you do so in so, such a self-righteous way because you want to spend it on your passions because, again, you feel like you're losing something. It's, oh, my friend, just lay it all down. Just, just come with like literally nothing and then ask the question of what does God want to put in your hands? Don't, don't fill in the blanks for what God is going to put in your hands. Let, let him give the gifts and understand that what God delights to give is all you need, which is why he would say in chapter one, every good gift, every perfect gift comes down from above. What he puts in your hands is what you actually need. Don't make up your mind. Don't fill in God's blanks with your empty hands. Come to him with full and free empty hands and let him fill you up. This kind of emptiness or looking for something we don't have, he actually says, is the spirit of the world. And even from last week, don't forget, he actually says, it's from hell itself. It's demonic. It's earthly. But he says here, don't forget that this kind of mentality is the spirit of this age. What do I want and how can I get it by my own means? It's the spirit of this world. It's the temptation of all temptations. Adam and Eve's temptations, even Satan's temptation himself. I wonder if your hands are truly empty. I wonder if literally in every sense of the word, you've laid down your self-righteousness, you've laid down your goals, your ideas, your uh, expectations of this world, your expectations of how life should go. You've literally emptied all of your hands and said, God, you fill it. I wonder if that's where you're at tonight. He says that any other spirit where you're trying to grasp, trying to lay hold says that's actually doing war with God. God wants to be gracious. God wants to give you gifts that are free. God wants you to give you to give you uncoerced gifts. He wants you he wants you to see the or to not see the scope of his grace. He wants you to be blown away by the the limitlessness of his grace and unconditionality. He wants you to see just how gracious he can be. And oftentimes we like God's gifts as long as they have like nice and neat little borders, nice and neat lines, or they fit my fill in the blanks. Oh, my friend, don't do war with God. Allow him to be the gift giver that he is. I read, I read this tonight and a lot of the things going on in this world, um, which are vast and, and many. I read this this week. Uh, this comes from a, an author uh, actually talking about this passage, uh, of all things. 
I have often wondered that persons who make a boast of professing the Christian religion, namely love, joy, peace, temperance, and charity to all men, should quarrel with such a rancorous animosity and display daily towards one another such bitter hatred that this, rather than the virtues which they profess, is the readiest criteria of their faith. This understanding of the things that we bicker about, the things that we're arguing for, the things that we are feeling like we as Christians don't have and must go get, that those things become the loudest posturings of our faith. And so that almost almost becomes synonymous with the Christian faith as opposed to the graciousness of God himself. Oh, my friends, let's, let's put down the quarreling. It helps us obscure the gospel here, but also it obscures the gospel out there. We should be the first ones who live in a posture or an ethos or an atmosphere of peace. The Christian life should be quiet and peaceful. Do you remember what he says about the wisdom that's from above? This is chapter 3, verse 17, right there in your text. But the wisdom from above, again, coming to Christ with empty hands, is first pure, then peaceable, gentle, open to reason, full of mercy and good fruits, impartial and insincere, and a harvest of righteousness is sown in peace by those who make peace. But what causes the quarrels and fights in our own hearts? Oh, my friends, it's this forgetfulness that we have constantly going in our, in our hearts that there's something outside of Jesus that you don't have that you need. And it couldn't be further from the truth. In verse 5, he gives us a hint of what it means to embrace life by wisdom, that is, life by God's free and boundless grace. He says this in verse 5, Do you suppose that it is of no purpose that the scripture says he yearns jealously over the spirit that he has made to dwell in us? This text is actually slightly controversial because the reality is that nowhere is actually found in scripture that we know of. Uh, So it's a little controversial. Like James says in scripture, this line, and that line actually never appears in our scripture. So we are like, well, was that a misquote? How'd that happen? Uh, I actually think um, it could be be translated another way. It it goes back and forth. I think that the bottom line is James is going truth for truth here, not necessarily word for word. Uh, In Exodus 20, we have this beautiful line about how God is jealous for his people. He delights in his people in a way that is kind of this uh, emotive jealousy that kind of gets God off of his chair and says, I'm going to go get my people. I love my people with a passion. James is saying, do you think it's like for no reason that God says, I'm jealous for my people? I don't want them doing war against me. So how, how would God, if we're going to do war with God, if we're going to fight it out and say, God, I don't want your good gifts. I want my own way. I'm going to fight. I'm going to crawl. I'm going to claw. I'm going to get everything I can get out of my own life. And God is here trying to give grace to us. How would God ever win? How would God's jealousy for his people ever win? You might think that God might want to fight back. We want to raise up his own dukes. And of course, we would know that that would never be a winning situation for us. But that's not God's strategy. Look what he says in verse 6. He actually gives more grace. 
He gives you more. He overflows the cup of grace with more grace. You get grace all the way to the rim of your cup, then you get grace all over you. Grace all over the rest of the table. Just when you think you've reached your capacity at understanding how gracious God is, God helps you to see he delights to give you more. And yes, we naturally like to fight with God about everything he's trying to give us, but God doesn't win us by strong-arming us into his love or coercing us into his mercy. No, he actually delights to continually drop more of his compassionate grace right into our lap. Just more, more. It's almost as if to say, I know you've tasted my grace a little bit, but I want to give you a taste of my grace even more. That's what's going to keep making you come back. More grace, not less. Not judgment, but grace. He gives more. My friend, it's a wonderful thing when you begin to realize that in Christ, you have everything you need. Truly everything. That allows you to live your life at peace here, but also gives you this thing called hope for in the future. Wraps up all the loose ends of the soul here and now, but also gives you this thing called hope, which as James made it very clear, hey, heads up, you're going to suffer. Part of life is suffering. And don't forget to count it all joy when you do so suffer, knowing that what God is doing through faith as you empty your hands, what God is doing is filling you up so that you might be perfect and complete, lacking in nothing. God is at work even right here into right now to fill your hands up and fill your heart and your soul up with so much stuff that you just kind of have to like explode into heaven. Oh, my friend. Is that, is that your heart? And James will eventually go on to say, this is what actually leads to a life of peace. When your heart is so overflowing with the grace of God in Jesus, it causes you to spill over in a life of peace because you have, you have a lot to give. You have extra. I went and grabbed a sub today at Jimmy John's. Uh, I was setting up for, for, for church plant camp over at Northside. I went over and grabbed a sub, and I ordered just the regular East Italian, whatever it was, with hot peppers, delicious. Uh, the one guy, they're freaky fast, super freaky fast, all, always. They always surprise me, always shock me. But the person taking my order, and then you have the lady listening to, to it so that she can like get my order done freaky fast, she heard giant when I said regular. So I paid for regular, but she was, always, she was already freaky fasting, making my giant sub. So I got down there, and they handed me two subs, and I'm like, I didn't, I didn't order two. And she's like, oh, you ordered giant. And I said, no, I ordered regular. She said, the number seven? I said, yeah, the number seven. I just ordered the regular. She goes, well, I made a giant. Go ahead and take it. And I was like, I can't eat all, I can't eat all this. And she's like, well, just give it away. And I was like, that's beautiful. So one of the Jimmy John's guys was on break. So I said, you want a sub? It's extra. He's like, sure, man, great. So it was like kind of this like retroactive like thing that happened. It's kind of cool. But at the same time, I'm like, I, I, had, I had too much. I was given too much. I received grace. And what did, that, what did that instinctively, what was the situation calling for? What was the instinctive motion of the heart? I, I got I to gotta give it. I got to give it. 
in a way that actually brings peace and wholeness to an entire situation. And this is what God's grace actively does in our hearts. Which is why when James says what he says, don't hear this as a burden you have to bear, but hear hear these things as a, a beautiful pillow to rest your head on. Listen to what he says as he goes on. But he gives more grace. Therefore, it says God opposes the proud, but he gives grace to the humble. If you're going to do war with God, understand God's happy to fight with you. He, he's happy to do that. He, would, he, he has already given you grace. But if you're saying, no, I want life on my terms, my friend, we know that judgment does come. And you won't win. God's happy to fight you on your terms, but he also provides another way. He also gives grace to those who lay down the dukes and say, I'll submit. I'll rest. I'll trust the gift. I'll take two regular Jimmy John subs when I ordered only one. I mean, I could have fought them. I, I, I could have fought them and said, I'll pay for it. And they would have been like, no. And I would have been like, yes. And they would have been like, fine. I could have fought them, and that would have been right. But it also wouldn't have made sense. So James is saying God gives grace to humble people. There's extra for those who would just simply receive it as what it is, a beautiful gift. So he says things like this, verse 7, Submit yourselves, therefore, to God. Submit yourself to what you're doing. Now, that, that cuts the old Adam deep, doesn't it? Because that means the old Adam has to untie the boxing gloves. He's got to put those dukes down. He, he can't go into the boxing ring anymore. It's done. The fight's over. He's got to submit. He's got to put himself under what God's doing. And that takes a certain kind of reckoning of your heart and soul. But, oh, my friend, why wouldn't you? Submit to God. Resist the devil. Don't buy into the lies of Satan. And he will flee from you. It's a beautiful promise regarding temptation. Lean into God's grace. Grace is actually the the remedy for temptation. Leaning into the extra of God is actually the remedy for fighting temptation. Not do more, try harder, but already looking back to what God has already provided in Christ. Verse 8, draw near to God and he'll draw near to you. Do you guys know that there are avenues where God has actually put his grace in the Christian life and experience? He's given you his word of grace. He's given you bold access before the throne of grace. And do you know that even by our speech, we can minister grace to one another? So in those ways, we get to draw near to God. And guess what? God has already placed his presence in these places to be received freely. We can go and find him anytime through his word, in prayer, in the fellowship of the saints. We can lean into his presence there. Cleanse your hands. Purify your hearts. This is a simple call for just daily repentance. Put the things that are tempting. Put, put, put down your fighting. Put down the thing that you think is satisfying you, not named Jesus. Cleanse your hearts. Reset your heart on the gospel and move forward. He says these very interesting words, be wretched and mourn and weep. Let your laughter be turned to mourning and your joy to gloom. That might sound like a, like a pessimistic view on the Christian life, but I actually think what he's trying to say here in, in, in step with the prophets, he actually, I think he's basically trying to say, think soberly. Think seriously about your sin. I think that's actually a, a, a beautiful call. He's going to say a little bit later, 
confess your sins, James. He's going to say, confess your sins one to another and be healed. Tell the truth. Don't, don't make up lies that you're not off as bad. Don't, don't go into this world so happy-go-lucky that you miss the sobriety and seriousness of how destructive your sin can be. This is actually why in, in uh, Jesus' language in, in proclaiming woes to the, to the religious of all people, he actually says this is one of the woes he gives to the religious. Woe to you who laugh now, for you shall mourn and weep. He's actually saying to the religious who are faking it, you're not really serious about your sin. You're not seeing things clearly. And it's not producing in you a kind of humility that would allow you to reckon with your sin in a faith-filled way. So he's like, stop playing the game. Stop laughing around and goofing off. Get serious about what's God, what God is doing in your soul. Lay hold of the grace that he's given you. And verse 10, humble yourselves before the Lord and trust. He will exalt you, so humbly wait. Let me read through these kind of soft-pillowed exhortations he gives us. Submit to God. Resist the devil. Draw near to God. Repent. Be sober-minded and humbly wait. He's giving us a little insight into how the Christian ethos is, what it looks like, how it should live. What James is trying to say is that pure religion gives up a life of fighting in order to humbly receive the grace of God. Pure religion is one that gives up a life of fighting and is happy to be at peace, humbly resting in the peace of God, or in the, excuse me, in the, in the, in the grace of God. This week, we had a lot to be cantankerous about, didn't we? care what side of the, the, the situation you're on. You look across anybody, we all had this desire to fight, both sides. I wonder if that fighting spirit, and again, remember that the anger of man does not produce the righteousness of God. It's not what you think it is. And certainly there are a lot of things to be angry about, But at the same time, is that anger actually causing you to lean into the grace that God's given in a way that actually is a harvest of righteousness to those who sow in peace? Is that kind of, is the true righteous indignation, if there is any, leading you towards a peaceful way of living? Or is it just anger because you feel like there's something out there you don't have, not named Jesus, that you have to have in order to feel right? in order to feel secure. My friends, as wonderful as these things are, it can be easy for this world to see a bunch of Christians who are just feisty. Rather than living in pure religion, we actually give up a life of fighting on all sides, no matter what it's about, losing losing the anger of man, which doesn't do anything but hinder the realities of the gospel, And even with a convictional fire in our belly, allow us to love and to serve in a way that brings peace. That is open to reason, that is gentle, full of mercy and good works. So like we talked about last week, it's kind of amazing the the message that was preached last week in light of the news of this current week. Remember we talked about trust Jesus and get busy? That was kind of the final phrase of last week. I wonder how that went. 
And it's still the same, still the same thing for this week. I'm not, I'm not sure people need to see all of our anger or unanger. I think people need to see us peacefully trusting in the grace of Jesus and getting busy, loving, serving our neighbor. Pure religion gives up a life of fighting in order to humbly receive the grace of God. Tonight's another opportunity to do that. We don't uh, make the Lord's table a, uh, a good shepherd member only table. This is really Christ's table that he sets. And just as God the Father delights to give freely, we believe that's what this table is all about. But it is received by faith. In other words, this is not a, a religious transaction. This isn't God will give to you if you've done good things this week and you've earned it. Nobody would show up at this table if that were, if that were true. But if you need the grace that Jesus does offer in his son, and you say, well, what's that? Well, it's pictured right here. Uh, in the bread, it pictures Jesus' broken body, which was broken on the cross for us. But also it, the wine and the juice depict his blood that was spilt on the cross, which actually atoned and made uh, an atonement for our penalty, for, for our sin. God sees that actual blood running down from an actual cross from an actual Jewish man 2,000 years ago and declares us innocent and righteous because of what he has done. And if by faith you're saying, I trust that man's sacrifice for my sin more than your sacrifice, then this table's for you. Just as Jesus says, this is my body, this is my blood, shed for you for the forgiveness of your sins. Do this in remembrance of me. If that's you, you are welcome to come. And we invite you to it. But certainly this is an opportunity for us to evaluate even our own lives. This is an opportunity for you to put down the fighting and say, Jesus, I simply trust your grace. I simply receive what you've given that you've freely put in my hands. I trust your forgiveness. And by that you are free, free from your sin. We normally just come up. Uh, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to pray. The instrumentalists are going to come up. Uh, then we're going to sing and, and you come. Um, we're actually going to ask through, uh, through the singing, we're going to ask God to abide with us, to be with us. Uh, and that certainly is through, through faith here what God uh, promises to give us as well. But let's pray. We'll sing and you come. God, we are so grateful for the grace that you've given to us in Christ. Thank you that because of Jesus, there is nothing outside of him that we need. All of our salvation is freely fixed in him. So, Father, tonight, because of the infinite amounts of grace we've received, we get to live our lives peaceably, but also freely giving towards those who need it most. I pray that you would work in our hearts the realities of the gospel uh, through this time uh, and reassure our hearts through Christ. I pray these things through him. Amen. Come and he
to the 